Welcome to Boxes and Lines, a different kind of finance podcast from a different kind of stock exchange. Featuring IEX founder Ronan Ryan and Chief Market Policy Officer John Ramsey. Now here to give you the straight talk on how the markets really work. It's Ronan and JR. Welcome everybody to the latest episode of Boxes and Lines. Welcome to Boxes and Lines. Welcome to Joe Weld and Eric Stockland. God love you both. I'll edit that out. We have a twofer today. No, we have not. two guests. Both mm-hmm. from, well, BMO Clearpool, we have Joe Wald, and we have Eric Stockland. We Eric is yeah. a repeat uh, he, he is a repeat. Yes, yeah. he is. Like a, th- a three-peat? Just How many pairs of IEX yeah. socks can you wear, Eric? Uh-huh. Jesus Christ. Yeah. But uh, anyway, uh-huh. l- let's let them introduce themselves. Let's Joe, do. Joe, we'll have Joe go first. Joe, tell us who you are, please. Hello, everybody. I am Joe Wald, and I am the global head of electronic trading here at the Bank of Montreal. I uh, was also one of the co-founders and uh, CEO of Clearpool Group, a uh, company that BMO acquired a, a few years back, about three years, uh, actually, to the day, pretty much. So that's me. Welcome. Eric? Hey, Eric Stockland. Um, I'm at BMO with Joe and responsible for the performance of our electronic trading algorithms. Where, where did and, you work before? And, uh, yeah, yeah. Jesus you look, Christ, you look kind uh, of familiar. How do, you, how do you leave that out? Uh-huh. Yeah, right, Eric. A, a, a proud alum from 2016 to 2020. Thank you. Uh, and I, I know, and I noticed since we're seeing uh, the picture of you too, you haven't really grown any more hair than you had when uh, you were here. But uh, but you're looking great. Uh, no, it, I'm, it I'm, 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 I'm get JR. Okay, all right, there you <laughs> yeah. go. You should have made fun of JR. <laughs> 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 yeah. he, he used a walking sure, stick I'm to sure, get here. I'm sure he will. Hey, don't don't you don't all heckle right. the guests. I, I'm I'm not. I'm Save not. it for the podcast. Okay. Oh, this is the podcast. Yeah. Okay, listen, today we're, we're, we're glad to have you guys here because obviously March 31st was the date, not that there ever is a dead deadline date with the SEC, but in theory, everybody was supposed to submit their, submit their comment letters on the SEC market structure proposals, the four proposals. And I know since they dropped in December and even prior to that, we've all talked ad nauseum about them. But what's different now is we've seen how people weighed in. BMO, we know that you guys weighed in on the public record. IEX, John Ramsey, wrote a rambling 31-page weigh-in. <laughs> it was yeah. 32 oh, pages, and it was not rambling. It was very well-constructed yep. and very coherent. Very good. Very good. Yeah, very good. So today, yeah. we're going to talk about some of those. Do you agree, John? <laughs> Fine. Let's do it. <laughs> let's go for it. He's, he really came prepared, didn't he? It's unbelievable. <laughs> and the crowd seemed to like this guy. Yeah. It's fucking unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I'm carrying you today, John. All right. All yeah. right. Okay. Okay. So what do we want to tackle first? There's four proposals and I think what we'll do is we'll jump through the two that we won't really talk to very quick because the 605 proposal, I, I think you guys will agree or tell us if you don't agree, but there, there hasn't been too much, uh, cannons pointed at that one. And a lot of people seem to think that one should go through and likely will go through, or at least I didn't see any comment letters really attacking it. Yes. Is, is that fair, John? That is fair. I would say that's fair. More tweaks around the edges, um, more around how you handle, um, odd lot orders. But by way of background, um, for our guests that are, Somewhat less familiar with it. Rule 605 is a rule that the, as the SEC has had in place for a very long time that says that different market exchanges, uh, different market centers, I'm sorry, exchanges, alternative trading systems, market makers have to put out statistics that allow people to compare their performance against each other. So the idea is you put data into the public sphere that allow people to judge how different market centers are comparing in terms of their ability to handle equity orders. 
Uh, but it has been updated for a very long time. So the SEC proposed to make a number of changes to kind of uh, bring it into the 21st century and make it more relevant. Thanks. That, I thank just, you. I yeah. just woke up. Okay, let's let's go to Reg <laughs> Come on, I thought that was very. I no, no, that it was, was great. It's great. No, I'm, no, but I thought. Are, I'm sure, are there's we no one else listening it? at this point. You want to give them a chance to 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 give thoughts about yeah. that if they have. Give us Any? some thoughts, guys. What, yeah. what do you think on six oh five? We're we're really hoping that it comes with a lot of pictures, um, lots of color, <laughs> bunch of graphs. I mean, I think that that's what we all need in this business. Uh, but you know, a, a healthy dose of transparency, I think, is is what what the SEC is after. There, I think that, like you said, uh, the industry has been long awaiting kind of a, a refresh of, of the 605 stats. And uh, I think ultimately, you know, when we've got a marketplace now that that really has so many more participants in it, uh, especially uh, from from the retail perspective, having more data around categorizing execution quality and, and how people can kind of pretty easily take a look at, at, at that uh, in, in a much more transparent way. I think it's just uh, going to be great. And that's probably why this one is the least controversial of, of the bunch. Yes. Speaking of controversial, before we go into these, and I'll, I'll, I'll turn it to Eric next. I mean, if you do look at the the press or the prevailing narrative out there, it's been just kind of like an absolute attack on Gensler's out of his mind. All these proposals are crazy or people have bucketed these proposals together. And that's been, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but a little frustrating from our standpoint, because there are some gems in there. There are some nuggets, you know, that we think are important. And I know based on the comment letter that you guys have have posted, you think are important too. So maybe I'll go to uh, Eric, our market structure guru on the Reg NMS proposal. And Eric, if you wouldn't mind giving sort of like a a short explainer on this proposal and kind of what you what, what you guys think are important. Yeah, the the proposal is the, the title almost a little misleading because it's about a lot more than tick sizes. Yep. Uh, we contemplate uh, new tick sizes that are uh, a function of the, of an average spread in a security. So how tight it quotes dictates the the tick size. Um, it contemplates new round lot definitions. So pre split, you know, Amazon uh, hundred shares was a block, and so. Uh, obviously, we need round lot sizes that kind of are, are a more reasonable amount of notional value. It talks about odd lot orders, better priced odd lot orders showing up on the tape. So there's not sort of this two-tier system where on prop data, you can really see all the best price orders, but on public data, you can't. Uh, there's changes to how exchanges can set pricing tiers so that they can't uh, be dynamic and sort of at month end, everybody's scrambling to make sure they're hitting tiers. And then the last piece was harmonizing the quoting and the trading increment. And the press loves the drama and the fight, you know, and, and people attacking the regulator. It, it um, it's clickbait. But the reality is, I think as you said, for six oh five, there's there's pretty close to universal agreement on it. And even within this this tick size proposal or NMS two I think there's general consensus around redefining rod, round lots changing the, the tick increment and, and doing so gradually. Like the industry not only agrees that in many stocks that are tick constrained, a 50 mil tick size makes a lot of sense, but limiting kind of the universe of names that we pull into that so we can be measured and empirical because we don't know what it'll do to market data traffic, uh, to liquidity, to the industry sort of agrees on, on doing something, but doing something small and then measuring. Uh, and I think there's also consensus around changing the trade increment from one mil off exchange to 10 mils, which still preserves the ability for wholesalers to price improve retail, which we think is really important. Um, but it eliminates some of the, the, you know, games that can be played at sort of one mil increments and, and counting that PI when it might not really be PI. Uh, so there's, there's 
fairly broad consensus on a lot of aspects of uh, the so-called tick size rule and on 605 uh, just doesn't sell as well when people get along on, on most of the points. <laughs> and so what, people what, don't like people getting along. So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you, you, yeah, it's much more fun to just trash. That's where we day. peck at each other on this podcast. Uh, well, that's why you do it because you get peck, your peck. jollies from it. But um, so also in the tick size, you may have mentioned it, Eric, um, as part of component of that is lowering the access fee cap, um, which exists today from like 30 cents per 100 shares or 30 mils down to something below the SEC largely proposed to sort of reduce it for virtually all stocks to 10 mils. And I take it that is a recommendation that uh, from reading your comment letter, you would agree with. Yeah, we're, we're supportive of, of reducing the access fees across the board. And I think there's, there's not consensus on this matter. I, mean, I think some of the joint comment letters uh, that we've seen have talked about reducing it to say 15 mils uh, on 50 mil tick sizes. So that sort of symmetry uh, is preserved at 30% of a tick. Uh, but look, re- rebates, in, in our view, um, cause a lot of distortion, uh, extreme rebates. And by um, still allowing uh, up to 10 mils, exchanges can incentivize. They can have volume-based pricing tiers. They can do take-make. They can do make-take. Um, but we're not passing around billions of dollars in, in fees between market makers and market takers. Um, so it just reduces some of the distortion. And what we think is that the price that we actually trade at, the, the print that hits the tape, should more closely reflect the economic reality of that trade and not have uh, plus or minus you know, 30 cents added on top for every 100 shares uh, that are traded. So it's, it feels like we reduce some of the magnitude of, of the, the problem set, the negative externalities of really high rebates, but we're preserving the ability for exchanges to run a business model, whether they want to pay for liquidity providing or pay for liquidity taking. So you're, we're in favor of 10 mils uh, across the board for all securities. And I just want to um, say that I think one of the narratives is that this will be really bad for liquidity. But if you think about a stock that's you know, widespread, 10 cents wide, um, it's, it's about spread capture, not about rebates, right? 30 mils on a 10 cent wide spread uh, is, is 3%. So it's, it's really not much. Um, uh, that's not the incentive that's causing people to, to stay wide or to, to make particularly tight markets. It's about capturing half the spread. Um, and in really tightly quoted names, Arguably, you don't need the rebate for the quote to be that tight. So I really think these dovetail well of, of reducing access fees across the board, giving people a chance to compete on price that's quoted and traded, not price net of fees. Uh, and then, you know, again, we have to we have to measure. We have to look at the data that comes out and uh, remain open to the fact that if, you know, if we get it wrong, we have to remediate it. But uh, this feels like a, a big step in the right direction to, again, preserve commercial uh, flexibility for the exchanges, just limit the the negatives that come with big rebates. Well, and and here's one of the flaws that I find in the argument um, by some exchanges that you can't reduce this the access fee cap too low because again, so people understand in practice, exchanges take in all these access fees today, and then they largely use that as a funding source to pay out rebates like over 90% of the total amount is then paid out in terms of rebates. So in practice, that's what they do. And their argument is that if you lower the access fees too much, we won't be able to pay out as much in rebates, and then that will have all of these deleterious effects. The SEC proposal actually doesn't limit the amount of rebates that you can pay. We'd be glad if it did. But I mean, if they wanted to, if they really thought they were all that important, they could dip into their, you know, market data, connectivity, pot of funds or other sources. <laughs> Salty, <and> John. <laughs> <laughs> but right? I mean, am I missing something? Or it's a, they're basically just saying, no, we don't want to have to do that. We want to be able to use this existing source of funding in order to pay it. 
In other words, completely hypocritical. Would you agree? <laughs> I mean, look, I'll tell you a story. We, we built a we built a viewer a few years back that basically uh, we'd go around kind of you know, talking about our platform and showing people all the cool things it did. But one of the things we tried to do was simulate a level two, but build in all of the pricing, all of the rebates, all of the maker takes, all the different things, so that you can look at what the quote was truly and what the actual you know cost yeah. of trading was. Uh, and it was, it was, it was incredible. I mean, all of our institutional clients that looked at that were just blown away by saying, wow, you know, we actually are in, uh, you know, a, a sub penny tick world already. Um, it's just that only a few people know about it and only a few people benefit from it. That's not what we're looking for, right? Uh, if we want to have the most efficient liquid markets in the world, what we want to have is transparency around pricing where investors of all ilks, whether you're retail or institutional, you pay the price that you see and, and you get that price. And, and that's what this proposal is about. And I think taking away those games and definitely talking about taking away kind of this bespoke, uh, you know, secret handshake pricing that happens um, for, you know, a small few people based on a crazy volume tier that you have to get to by jumping through one hoop and then kind of going under a, a limbo stick, uh, you know, getting rid of that is really just taking friction out of the marketplace and making it more efficient. So from a, a practical, pragmatic investor perspective, uh, there shouldn't be any real argument about this. And, you know, we're there, we're, we're opening up uh, probably what's going to be the biggest kind of transformational market structure, uh, you know, ruling since Reg NMS. It's time to look at this thing. We've been talking about it for years and years and years. And uh, if we're going to do something, this is this is an easy one. Uh, you know, a no-brainer to take a look at and do something about. Well, we certainly agree with you. Um, and you, you, know, you guys have been sort of a leading voice on a lot of these issues for a long time. But what would you say? And, you, you know, there are some folks, uh, there, there's some opinions that are coming out basically saying, look, everybody agrees on 605. So let's just start with that. Let's require that this additional data be, a, and, then, and then just take a pause. Don't do anything else um, uh, beyond, you know, look at what that data looks like. And then we can decide if we want to lower tick size or if we want to lower access fees or we want to do other stuff. What's your response to that? I mean, look, there's a reason that these proposals are separate. Uh, there's also there's also a reason that they're they, that they are very much interrelated. Um, I think that you know, talking about tick size, talking about tick constrained names, talking about having investors uh, get the best price, that is something that that there's a lot of evidence uh, around. You know, in terms of stocks that are just trading in a tick constrained manner now, not letting investors meet naturally, and this this is something that is going to be there. To hopefully solve that, you know, I think what Eric mentioned was in terms of our proposal, we're not looking at this as, hey, let's go straight to tenths. Uh, let's start with half a, half a penny. Let's start with half a penny in places where clearly there, there's the need for it. And then let's take some data and, and see if we need to go to 20s. And, 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 and even if and, and, and frankly, I mean, Eric had sort of described that as a relatively smaller change. But if you think that by itself would be a significant change. It would be, I mean, I think that you would argue it probably has a significant advance, but but you're basically reducing the amount of the tick size by a half for a very large group of securities. I think some people have said limited to things that are like really trading right out one cent. I think you guys are proposing that you extend it further to uh, stocks with a spread of up to 1.6 cents. 
right? So there's there's a couple of things here, Jr. I mean, the the one point six cents might seem odd to somebody looking at it, but that was the commission's band where they wanted to set twenty mm-hmm. mil ticks, and so you know we thought they put a lot of effort into this. They've done a lot of research. Let's reuse that band. Um, it's around fifteen hundred securities. But the, the, one of the refrains that we hear in the debate is, well, why does a stock that's one point six pennies wide beat a half a penny tick? And the answer is that the spreads are extremely seasonal. And there are stocks who have a mm. time-weighted average mm. spread of, say, one and a half cents that are absolutely tick-constrained at the close. And so you need to cast a little bit wider net so that we have the precision available to alleviate some of the tick-constraint behavior um, or attributes that happen later in the trading day, and in particular into the close, which is such an important time of day. So that, that's why we drew it at 1.6. Um, frankly, if the commission said 1.1, Fine. That's still a thousand securities. Um, we're not going to lose our minds over where we draw the line. And I think strategically, uh, you know, the commission has four big proposals. And I think saying to the commission, no, 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 and yes, is probably not a very good like uh, starting point in, in the compromise and the debate. And so you know, we, we, we should save our objections for things that we really, really think are bad. But they have to give some ground. And to Joe's point, this is interrelated. So if you want to uh, really see transformative, holistic reform. We need you know, the execution quality reporting. We need to work on tick sizes. We've talked about, and you guys led the fight on a ban for rebates, which went to the appellate court uh, before it you know, kind of ultimately got shot down. But the, the motivations there, I think, are still you know, applicable uh, in this access fee reduction. We know we need to do something for high price securities. It's in there. We know we need odd lot prices to be on the public feed. Uh, so there's there's so much good policy here. And like, you know, we can't be afraid of, of change and we can't do these piecemeal or we'll be at it for 20 years. And so we got to balance risk and reward. And I think in that regard, we tried to strike a bit of a compromising tone and say, yes, tick size reform, just not quite that aggressive uh, and find lots of places where we can agree. And then, you know, kind of our, our objections or we disagreed are things that we thought were really the, the most important. Yeah, no, look, we, we, we tend to agree. And I, I think the other day I called it universal agreement. And then John gave me the fucking definition of what universal is. But if you, if you look at it, you know, no one's necessarily going to listen, <laughs> listen to you. What? Le- listen to you. Look away. Go ahead. Um, like no one's necessarily agreeing that I'm aware of with the 10, 20, 50 and a penny tick increments, but most everybody is crowding around the 50 mil post saying that's acceptable. And then exactly what you said, Eric. Yeah. The, the bands, if it was, if it was 1.1 cents or 1.6 cent on the spread, I have not heard that argument before on the seasonality. That's a, that's a really interesting one. And hopefully uh, that's in your comment letter. It was a because, very yeah. smart and even perspicacious. Oh, point. here he goes, using a there. fancy word. Oh, yeah, just because I know that you don't know what it means. Texas, smarter than everybody. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, right. so, so we, we, we agree with you. And I, and I think a lot of people you know, might think that that's dissent to the SEC's proposal, but it, it is an alternative within their proposal, and they put them in as alternatives no, for no, a very and, real and reason. to be fair, I mean, they Universal. Spent, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Ronan. Persicopocus, whatever they, the fuck spent, that was. These were not proposals that were issued all on a take-it-or-leave-it basis. They spent literally dozens of pages laying out alternatives and asking for people to comment on those alternatives and expecting that they would. Um, so... Uh, you know, I think that people, uh, often people who want to, uh, have strategic reasons for wanting to just trash the whole thing, the whole package would sort of suggest that these things are 
that 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 the uh, commission is not open to comment. I just don't. I think that that's not. Right. Maybe we should have Sifu and Gensler on as joint guests next time. I I think that's. A, I think that'd be a really bad idea. Yeah. Um, but I um, but appreciate your <laughs> appreciate your comments. All right. Thoughts. Should we move on from the Reg NMS ones? Uh, sure. You want to take it on to the next? <laughs> yes. <laughs> retail auction, retail order pricing. What do you guys think of this one? Because we've had some interesting conversations on this, and maybe it's uh, our views and your views are different to at least the masses who've made it publicly known. What, what do you think, Joe or Eric, whoever wants to go first? This, this is definitely the most interesting one of the bunch, to say the yeah. least. I mean, <laughs> everybody's talking about this. I think, look, in the end of the day, where we come out on this and, and where our clients come out on this, uh, which are primarily uh, institutional investors or broker dealers that cater to, to institutions, is that there has been growing frustration that as the market has gotten bigger, as the market has gotten more democratized, as more retail has entered the marketplace, there's growing frustration that there aren't avenues for institution and retail investors to interact naturally with each other. Um, and, and that's just the fact, right? I mean, uh, the SEC has data, uh, that they, that they use cat for behind this and people can argue that one way or the other. Uh, in the end of the day, what we're looking for is a practical, pragmatic solution. Uh, we're looking for the SEC to set the course, to set a, a, a kind of a, you know, set the rules in place so that there can be real, real competition that's transparent, that is fair for everyone to be able to compete for that order flow uh, so that investors get the best price. I mean, ultimately, we're not saying that the mandate uh, and this prescriptive mandate is, is the only and the right solution. What we're saying is that there is absolutely a way to potentially leverage an auction mechanism uh, that's going to allow for investors to meet in a place to get a better price. And we believe that innovation and competition should be driving that versus a mandate so that there are things that could be done uh, around kind of making that a possibility, uh, you know, having having the SEC set the rules for this to exist, set the rules for retail investors and retail brokers to be able to use those without running afoul of some of their held order mandates or, or, or rules. And let's 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 have the market decide. Uh, when you, know, you that, say yeah. that, Joe, are you, you're sort of more talking like a, a, a voluntary auction where an exchange or ATSs or any, someone could build one. But when, when you're talking about the rules, are you saying perhaps retail brokers could go direct to these rather than go to the wholesalers first or, or both? They or, could, yeah. Both. They can go direct. Yeah. They can go through their wholesalers. There's the facility that will exist that will allow them to trade in, in you know, subpenny increments that they can't do today. Yep. Uh, there's something that will allow them to say, hey, if I go to an auction, I'm not going to be dinged uh, on my best X for you know, violating a held order rule. Um, gotcha. And I could try it. Uh, and an auction, you know, the, the way we look at an auction that I think is unique is, is that, you know, it does protect, uh, you know, pre-trade information leakage. It is something that will pop up and then people can respond to on the institutional side. So there are a lot of benefits uh, to the auction. There are a lot of other places in the world that leverage auctions in terms of, you know, how popular they've become, how fast they've grown. Europe is a great example of that. So, it's an interesting idea. We definitely think that going the mandated prescriptive route and forcing this to happen is probably not the way to, to get it done. But the concept around it, a facility that brings institutional retail investors together 
to trade from a natural perspective without, you know, the disintermediation that occurs today, that's a really, really strong step forward for our market structure. There's language in, in one of these you know, rules, JR, that you probably know, but it talks about for you know, the most willing buyer to meet the most willing seller. Yeah. And oftentimes we have an institutional order and a security and they're an extremely willing buyer. And by that, I mean, they're not micro price sensitive. They don't care about book skew or last sale, how many deltas have traded in the options, what the futures are doing. They just want to trade and they want to trade with low impact counterparties. And oftentimes that, that could be retail. And so a chance for, or rather creating a space where institutions can express that desire to be the most willing buyer uh, in response to a retail auction can generate a true win-win where the institution is able to interact with low impact retail. Retail can get prices that at, at times we could easily envision uh, better than the mid. You know, so if I'm the buyer and retails the seller, <clears throat> oftentimes we would pay between the mid and the far, potentially up to the far, because we know what it's going to cost to trade that parent order. We have an estimated model that says, you know, this one's going to be 20 bips. This one's going to be 40 bips. Anything we can do versus retail just reduces the residual that we have left to trade. And so we create a space and then we look at the data and then there's options for retail brokers to decide if that's a good outcome for them or not a good outcome. And, and to Joe's point, auctions are, are really a, a unique, uh, important paradigm for the institution because if I, you know, if I'm trading an illiquid security. I don't want to be in an RLP program on the bid, you know, at, at 10 mils, 20 mils or the mid all day long, it's a signal. So I want to be able to be, be quiet, be in the weeds, pick and choose the auctions that we respond to, to be able to manage some of that information leakage. Maybe we don't respond to every auction, but maybe, you know, it's the particularly big ones or, you know, some subset of all the auctions that go off. But it, it allows us to not suffer opportunity cost, pre-trade leakage, and frankly, adverse selection. Like it turns the tables around where it allows the industry to call for liquidity in response to one of these orders instead of having to plant you know, resting orders across a bunch of RLP programs in hopes of being at the right place on the right price when retail shows up. Right. Well, I think those are all smart, smart points. And what, what you guys both seem to be saying is uh, to making a distinction that I think other people are not making, which is sort of conflating the point around criticisms around the specific retail auction mechanism that the SEC has put out um, and the mandate to basically saying, because of those concerns, there's nothing to see here, nothing to fix here, and no reason to change or deviate from the current system where, as you say, there is no practical ability for retail and institutional investors that could benefit from the ability to sort of meet in the middle or um, in, interact more, right? I mean, and, and so well, yeah, far as like- You can't accept orders in 10th of a penny increments today. So when we, when we say allow these auctions to exist, it's let exchanges accept and rank orders in tenth of a penny increments, provide express relief for retail brokers that they're not violating their, their immediacy requirement of a held order. And then we, the one kind of critique that we make in the letter is 100 milliseconds is too long. Yeah, it's, it's clearly 100 to 300 milliseconds. We're in, we're in machine space. Uh, we don't want to have that many auctions running simultaneously. You know, in our view, 10 milliseconds is probably ample time. But again, let market decide. Maybe somebody wants to run a 100 millisecond auction, but shorten that window up. Um, and then let's see what, what competition does. And does the market like this? Does it produce as good outcomes as we think it will? Because we don't know either. We're, we're all making educated guesses. So the framework is powerful. Just drop the mandate. And, and we've, we've talked to folks in the space. And as, as long as you drop the mandate, most of the, the kind of visceral reaction to this proposal uh, fades. So yeah. 
No, um, I, 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 I basically agree with everything you guys are saying. But like we, we run a retail, uh, an exchange retail program, and we talk to the wholesalers. We talk to the retail brokers. And I, I think you're probably giving the retail brokers a little bit too much credit here. Like the only reason why they're not coming to these exchange things is because they don't want to be, you know, held to their held order obligation and all this stuff, right? So the, the elephant in the room in all of this is the construct that exists today to a certain extent is retail brokers throw these orders over the wall, wholesalers compete for them, and there's a lot less for the retail brokers to do and that they don't have to connect. Almost like a broker, they don't have to connect to these exchanges, interact with these exchanges or frankly, do a whole fucking ton, right? And they get a lot of services from these wholesalers. You know, the, the wholesalers don't just go and give them like average price improvement. I get the gig here, but the frustration is if, if you went and voluntarily built such a, you know, an auction that you guys are talking about, I'm frankly very skeptical that the retail brokers will actually come. And what'll come is what comes to most exchange retail programs and it's exhaust flow from the wholesalers. And that might not be a popular thing to say in a podcast, which is why I say it, but which the, is why we may well, yeah, well um, excise this. No, we, 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 we won't because I've talked yeah. to a lot of these people. Okay. A lot of people right. are full of right. shit, John. Right. And okay. It's, there you go. It's just what not going to get there. To say, though, but I agree. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree wholeheartedly with what Eric and Joe are saying, but only if people will actually give it a crack and really send non-exhaust flow into such an auction or it won't work otherwise? Two things. Um, God bless America. God bless bless America. (laughs) All right. Go, Eric. Sorry. Sorry. You point out something that's valid. This this argument that we're making fails if nobody uses it. So there needs to be one or two. Uses it the right way. Yeah. Yeah. Who are willing to send, you know, 1% or 5% to it. There's a major uh, retail broker out there today who sends all of their flow to their own ATS before they route it out uh, to wholesalers. So if a firm like that or some of these kind of upstart uh, retail brokers who are chasing, you know, best stacks and trying, they're all chasing best stacks. Let me restate that. But for the retail brokers who are um, trying to make a business model or, or sort of over magnifying or focusing on best stacks, we had a couple of them who do it. We start to generate data. Yeah. Chasing it themselves. Really yeah. So far. yeah um, I and agree. So, Two other things, though. One, uh, the tagging of order flow could be helpful. And then two, the, the duration being at least 10 milliseconds long, um, you know, to 100 milliseconds for, for the really sharp exhaust. And we all know what we're talking about. There's, there's some very sharp retail exhaust. Are they willing to spend 10 milliseconds or 100 milliseconds in an auction? And this might act as a form of segmentation. Um, so it, there, there could be a way to spot that flow or, or the, the auction runs long enough that it, it's not that appealing for, for the sharpest exhaust. Me- meaning that the wholesalers wouldn't send in the exhaust because they couldn't take the risk of holding it there for that long? Is, is that the Potentially. point? I mean, I'm yeah. speculating. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But um, some of that flow is pretty sharp. Um, uh, are they willing to spend 100 milliseconds in an auction when they owe the, the FAR if they don't get done? I'm unsure. Um, yeah. It might need a retail flow uh, for the chance to do better than mid, possibly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I totally agree. Just in my in my skeptics, I I think you're exactly right that you'll get less exhaust, but you might not get a whole lot into the auction as a result because a lot of it will be kept upstairs in the wholesale you know scheme regime 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 not scheme not scheme regime. Yeah, Ronan means to say regime. Yes. John yes. wrote scheme on the whiteboard <laughs> behind me. I'm sorry, Dougie. <laughs> He's a, always ready to throw me under the bus. Is there um. Any thoughts about the the fourth uh, of the uh, columns, uh, the best execution um, proposal? So the best text, SEC has proposed to create its own 
best execution rule. It doesn't have one today. Um, and to borrow from some of the uh, standards that exist today in the FINRA rule, um, add on to them a little bit. What do you think about that? I guess the word that comes to mind for me really is harmonization. Uh, I, I think that, you know, from, from the SEC's perspective, they look back and say to themselves, why don't we have a best execution rule? That probably is something that we should have. I, I get that logic. I, I just know that being a broker dealer uh, and a been around broker dealers my whole career. We've got a lot of rules that we have to follow, uh, and, and a lot of them are just nuanced in, in many ways. I think that sure. having two rules that sound the same that aren't the same uh, could just lead to quite a bit of confusion. So, ultimately, from our perspective, you know, this is one that we chose not to comment on. We are subject to a best execution rule, uh, and we're subject to a higher standard than that, which is you know getting the best quality execution we possibly can for our clients uh, because we compete on that every single day. So not much in it for us, but clearly, um, you know, having two rules that, that aren't harmonized, that could be contradictory in some ways would be confusing. So as long as they can find ways to, to make sure that there's good harmonization there and that people understand what they need to do that may be different or, or hopefully the same, we could live with it. But I think that there, there definitely is a lot of, I guess, frustration around uh, the lack of clarity, uh, and then the over-clarification of, of certain parts of the best X rule uh, as proposed by the SEC. Well, and frankly, I, th I think there are a lot of people out there that might say that FINRA has kind of like over time make a bit of a convoluted mess of their own best X rule. I'm not saying that for myself, of course. Um, I'm just, but you know, there's- It's the only acronym industry organization you haven't worked for. <laughs> Might be next. No, actually, I have worked for them when have they were the NASD. Yes, oh, you don't Christ. even know. You know squat about my Dude, background. I think you really. make up half. You don't know any. I did not. Yeah, yeah you don't. It know. wasn't on your shitty just, resume. It just said SEC. <laughs> it didn't say CFTC. Uh, all right. Fuck on with it. Look, we 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 agree with you guys. I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask my my co-host a question, John. <laughs> now that all the comments are in or trickling in, uh -huh. March 31st come and pass. What what's next? And then we'll ask these guys, what, what happens next? Well, so uh, you already said that. I mean, I don't think that the... Five, four, three, <laughs> I don't think that the comment deadline is irrelevant. I think people that, you know, feel it. But clearly, this comment process in one way or another is going to go on for a while. So I think people are going to continue to sort of lob in follow-up thoughts over a period of time. I think that will go on for some number of weeks um, or a few months. Um, and, and then at some point, the process is the SEC is going to look at the uh, all the comments that are um, have been thrown in um, and, you know, whatever additional thoughts they have um, and will prepare final rule proposals. Now, there's no – the fact the SEC has put them out for proposal doesn't mean that it's obligated to move forward on each of them. They could choose to adopt – some, but not all, they could choose to do it in stages. So they don't have to adopt everything all at one time. Too. Can they repropose any of them if they want to? They could repropose as well if they wanted to do that too. I think that's a little less likely in this case, just because there was so much thought, um, at the, uh, uh, you, you know, that went into a lot of these proposals, um, to begin with that I think they probably would like to avoid having to go through a repropose process. But my hunch is that uh, they'd be move, moving towards trying to uh, put up final proposals, at least on some of these, towards the end of this year. But that's just sort of a guess. What do you guys think? It's a really hard thing to predict. There's, um, there's such strong, strenuous objection from 
some really smart people in the industry, some really big people that have predictions that range from incremental improvement to like kind of apocalyptic on the market structure front. And how do you net that out? And, yeah. um, and then how, how motivated is the commission? And we've got a presidential election coming up in a year. Um, so you may or may not have a changing of the guard with the three, two, there's the litigation overhang. And so I, you know, I think it's really hard to try and estimate with any accuracy what, what happens next outside of, as I think as you started the, the, the pod with 605. Um, and maybe some tick reform, but it gets really murky after that, even in access fees. I think NASDAQ used, I think they used the phrase arbitrary and capricious, which sounds like a lead in for I'm going to sue you. if you Like do 17 oh, times. Yeah, yeah. they like, how many times did they say that? Which is always like rattling the friggin' saber. Yeah, they do like to, to sue, John. Yeah, Just saying. they definitely have. I will say <laughs> that I think the prospect, I, I, I think and I hope that the prospect of litigation on some of these is not going to deter the SEC from doing what they think is the right thing on on any of these, um, I, there are market participants out there that have like gone to court just as a matter of course um, to try to block whatever it is they don't like for whatever reason. And it's just it's not a good policy for the SEC to decide that they're it's like the not. jerky boys. You remember that? Sue me, sue everybody. I, I you don't I, remember I, that. No, I don't know. I know. You were I didn't the, get that reference. Sorry. Yeah. He, they had he, a podcast. That, yeah, yeah, it was a good one. Oh, is yeah, that right? Oh, it was a pair as opposed to ours. No, yeah, right. no, yeah. the Turkey yeah. Boys. They used to do. They used yeah. to do prank oh, calls. Oh man, that was that's nice, Joe. That's <laughs> really nice, guys. If I said to you, "Listen, all y'all, it's a sabotage." What what, what would you think? Beastie Boys. Yeah. Beastie Boys. John had no idea. He looked. Oh. At, he looked at me. He looked at me like I was talking about. I'm sorry, like, I'm out of it. Putin and Ukraine <laughs> yeah, or something. All right. Like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now we ask every guest this question. We call it the question mm-hmm. of questions. If you answer it bad, you don't get a pair of socks. If you answer it well, you get a pair I of mean, socks. I mean, Eric's answered uh, so many times at yeah, this er- point. Er- Eric. No, the yeah. thing is this, Eric. When we had Boris slash Igor on here last time, mm-hmm. we asked him the question. And he answered the question as if he'd never been asked it before. And it was an elongated answer. And honestly, it was almost word for word what he said the previous time. Yeah. And he had no idea. <laughs> yeah. So I don't even know what your answer was. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. I'm going to do an excerpt after this. If you answer the same, I'm mm-hmm. going to bust your chops. Yeah. That's a nice way of saying mm-hmm. it. But we'll let Joe go first. Joe, favorite Wall Street movie <laughs> and why? Favorite Wall Street movie and why? Well, I can tell you, I was hoping that there would be this movie that came out about these flashy guys. <laughs> uh, still, still waiting for that one. But, yeah, I um, saw that one. It wasn't about Wall Street. Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tra- trading places has to be the one for me. I mean, yeah, come on, it's one. just the, the funniest ever. Nice, I like it, Eric. So I'm going to change my answer. Um, yeah, man. I don't like any of them. I think it mischaracterizes the business and the people. Most of the wow. folks that I know are wow. like really thoughtful and and kind, and they care about the business. They're not like doing drugs and, and other boisterous things that you see in Wolf of Wall Street. So I, I don't like the characterization. I'm, I'm sending my oldest to college in the fall. I'm trying to tell her about finance. And she's like, doesn't everybody in finance like, you know, do cocaine and drugs? I'm like, no, I know nobody who does uh, those things. But it, like the, the public perception of our business gets like sometimes vilified in, in the Hollywood space. So I, I don't want to say none this time, which is probably not what I said last time. Uh huh. Wow. Definitely so none of the above. You're not well, getting a pair a, of socks, though. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, no answer means no fucking. You're not socks. supposed to tell Sorry. the truth here. It's like, <laughs> very, very good answers. Very good guests. Eric, maybe we'll have you back another time. Joe, we will certainly have you back another time. We got to get this competition yeah. going on the street. Absolutely. Yeah. We, uh, but thanks, we, guys, for having we, us. This thank awesome. you, guys. Uh, always, yeah, this is oh, great. always good. Over and out. Goodbye, everybody. We're gonna miss you. Boxes and Lines is a podcast from IEX Exchange. 
It is hosted by Ronan Ryan and John Ramsey. Executive produced by Daisy Clays. With support from Benstown. For more information and to hear more episodes, go to iexexchange.io slash podcast. Thank you for listening to Boxes and Lines. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only, and IEX Group Incorporated and its affiliates do not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation or offer to buy or sell any securities or provide any investment advice or service. Some portions of the preceding conversation may have been edited for length or clarity. Copyright IEX Group Incorporated, all rights reserved. Thank you.